Amen. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to read a few verses out of Revelation 5. We've been in a study of Revelation, and we were last week went over redemption and studied about redemption in chapter 5. How many of you did the homework assignment that I asked? I asked you guys to read the book of Ruth. Four chapters. How long did it take you? Not very long. So it didn't take very long. How many read it again? <laughs> a couple people. Yeah, I did too. So stick your finger in your Bible in the book of Ruth. We're going we're gonna to be there majority of the time. But just to recap, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to be able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Amen. There was one who was able, there was one who was able to redeem. Amen. We see as we get into the book of Ruth, and there's a principle that God taught and he set up for a kinsman redeemer. And the Hebrew word is a goel. And this, I want to give you some information and some history and some definition on a goel. In the Hebrew Bible and the um, rabbinical tradition, a goel is a person who, as the nearest relative of another, is charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another. Now, this part we get, and we don't see this a lot in what's taught. Here's another really awesome way, not only restoring the rights of another, but avenging his wrongs. So if someone had been murdered in your family or someone had some um, tragedy or we see um, maybe, maybe a daughter was raped, a goel could go and redeem and make sure that the punishment was paid. You follow me? Those accounts were being taken care of. This was a biblical principle and a goel. And if the father wasn't able to, the next, re next closest relative would be that goel. They would go and redeem that and make sure that was made right. Also, if someone died and there was property or there was something that, or they had sold themselves, times were tough, they had sold themselves into labor. Slavery was a part of the Bible, but not as we know it as today. A lot of times, if things got tough, you could sell yourself into indentured servants. And then you would be hired, where basically you would, you would serve until that debt was paid, until the year of Jubilee. And no matter what debts were paid, were settled at that point. So this Goel... Was, is the nearest relative of another in charge of the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging his wrongs. And one duty of the Goel was to redeem a relative who had been sold into slavery. Now, a Goel is a kinsman redeemer. I want to talk a little bit about redemption and give you what, a, a picture of redemption. Redemption takes, it, takes its significance from the laws that were given to Israel in Leviticus. When an inheritance was lost or given up by its rightful owner, there was two books or scrolls made of the transaction, the one open and the other sealed. Now, I have not heard anyone teach this or show this or believe this, but we see one scroll that's open and one that's sealed. I would dare say that maybe this is the one that's open. Is this a letter that's open? We all have access to read. But then there's one that's sealed that there's only one who's able to redeem and open the seals. Amen? You following me? Okay. I believe there's patterns in prophecy, especially in Jewish prophecy. And this is a pattern. And I want to show you, so, show you some more patterns through the book of Ruth as we go. These title deeds went into the hands of the one to whom purchased the property. A sealed book became a sign of an alienated inheritance, but could be recovered on the, speci on the specified terms. And when anyone legally representing the original possessor was found competent to lift and destroy the sealed document and to buy back what had been lost, he was called the Goel, or Redeemer. And in the inheritance, and, 
was considered redeemed and now had full right to dispossess whoever might be found on it and take possession immediately. You following me? So if that Goel went and found that he was worthy to redeem that land or, who, or if and there was other people on it, he could immediately go and redeem that land and dispossess whoever was on that land. I want to I share with you that is what is going to be happening during the tribulation. The one who's opening the seals is dispossessing the one who has possession of the land and of the earth and has authority on it. And those who have not received Christ and those who have rejected Christ will be dispossessed of that land so that he can come and establish the millennial kingdom where he will rule and reign on this earth for a literal thousand years. That has always been what redemption looks like. And those have always been the legal rights of the Goel. And I would dare say to you that Christ is our Goel, our kinsman redeemer. Amen? And he's been wanting us to see what it looks like all throughout history and all throughout the Bible. And we're going to look at the book of Ruth as why well, I think one of the most beautiful pictures and types of that kinsman redeemer. And we're going to look at some of the things that we can associate with and go, oh, isn't this interesting? Isn't this maybe God's trying to tell us something today? Amen? So you don't want to just throw out the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a picture of what's happening in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ruth. Now there's some qualifications as you're turning, I'm going to tell you, that have to be met for a Goel or for a kinsman redeemer. First, must be a kinsman. You follow me? Second, must be able to perform. You have to be able to perform the rights. You would have to be able to purchase. Just because you were the nearest kinsman, if you didn't have any money to purchase the property that was owed, then you couldn't be the Goel. Most importantly, you must be willing. Just because you were the closest relative and just because you had the ability and the money to do it doesn't mean you had to. You'd have to be willing to take on whatever the responsibilities were. And then you would have to assume all of the responsibility and obligations. That is what a goel is. That is what a kinsman redeemer are. That is the qualification. So can you see Jesus as a kinsman? He had to become flesh, become man, so he could redeem man. You following me? He had to be able to perform. Did he meet the qualifications to redeem man? He was sinless. His blood was precious. Without the shedding of blood and pure, innocent blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus met those. Jesus was willing he knew he was coming to this earth to go to a cross. And he was willing. And he performed that. And he assumed all of the obligations. Now watch as we go through the book of, of Ruth. We see three, three major players. I just want to look at three major players. Boaz, he's the kinsman redeemer. One of the titles of the kinsman redeemer, one of the titles of um, Boaz in this story, and what, as we see as Christ, is the Lord of the harvest. How many have heard that? One of the names is the Lord of the harvest. You're going to see Boaz as the Lord of the harvest. You're going to see Naomi. Naomi is a beautiful picture of Israel. How many picked up on that as you were going through Ruth? Naomi represents Israel. Now, as we go through this, you also see Ruth. She's titled the Moabitess. That means she's not a Jew. Ruth represents the Gentile bride. Some of you should be getting to start to get excited at this point. God foreordained and already knew that he was going to show us this beautiful picture. There's going to be a redeemer. Naomi is a picture of Israel, and we're going to get into some depth of that as we get going. And Ruth is the Moabitess who marries the kinsman redeemer, who is a picture of the church, the Gentile bride. Come on. Somebody's excited about that besides me. Praise the Lord. 
So if you have your Bibles, Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to go through four chapters. We may not read every single word of it. Some of you are going to be stuck with me paraphrasing. Um, but, but at least the first chapter, probably pretty much, we're just going to read line upon line. Is that okay? Good. We're going to do it anyways. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed. Okay. In the days the judges governed. That is going from Joshua to Saul. Joshua to Saul. That is a dark time, by the way. Do you, I find it very important that this is the, you're going to see in this first sentence, a lot of information. And we need to put this in our mind. The author's letting us know, which I believe is probably Samuel, that this time is not a great time. If you've read through the book of Judges, you're going to see a theme that's played over and over and over in the book of Judges. It says, and they did what was right in their own eyes. How many read that? Over and over, there was no king. It says, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar today? Does this sound, well, that's just a Bible story. Or can we relate right off the bat to the book of Ruth? In the days when people did what was right in their own eyes. That's how you can also read that. Judges governed that there was a, and judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Well, that means it ain't going too spiffy. We see a lot of times throughout the Old Testament when there was a famine, the children of Israel hadn't, weren't following God. So there's a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, of where? Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. So we can read this. So there's a famine in the land of the house of bread. Uh-oh. That's not good. How many may relate to that today in the church? The churches are supposed to be a place where people come and get food and they get bread and they get meat and they get nourished. But in a lot of churches, just like in this day, there was no bread in the house of bread. Now, as a pastor who hears lots of different things, I can sadly tell you that is a very good picture of today. There's a lot of people going to the church looking to get fed, and there's no bread in the house of bread. There's no bread in the place there's supposed to be bread. And it's the same as this day for, for Ruth and for Naomi and for everyone in this time. There was no bread in Bethlehem. Do you feel connected now? There was a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man, these names are so important. The name of the man was Elemech, which means God is king. And the name of his wife was Naomi, which means my pleased one, my pleasant one. And the name of his wife, my pleasant one. And the names of his two sons, these are not great names, were Malon, which is sickly, and Chilion, withering. Ephratites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. So they leave Bethlehem because they hear there's food in Moab. So they leave and go to Moab. It says, then Elamech, Elamech, who is God is king, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for them, for themselves, Moabite women. Uh-oh, that's not lawful. They violated the law. They took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, which is fawn, and the name of the other, Ruth, and that means friend or beauty, or we could say beautiful friend. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Now I want to reread this, but with the names of what their names mean. It says, in the name of the man, or let's just go. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was God is King. And the name of his wife was My Pleasant One. His two sons were sickly and withering of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then God is King my pleasant one's husband died, and she was left with her two sons, sickly and withering. 
And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Fawn, and the name of the other was Beautiful Friend. And they lived there for about 10 years. Then both Sickly and Witherly also died. And the women were bereft of their two children and her husband. Wow. God as king died. The one who represented God in that family died. And then Sickly and Witherly just went and did their own deal. But I wonder what the names are going to mean as we go forward. There might be something good. What do you think? I don't think it could get worse than Sickly and Witherly. It says that then she arose in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. She hears 10 years later, hey, guess what? There's bread in the house of bread. There had been a drought for 10 years, but then there was bread in the house of bread. Come on, somebody. People start getting excited. People start wanting to come back to where there's bread in the house of bread. And I, wanted, I believe that God is going to start pouring bread out back into the house of bread where people can get fed and people can get nourished and people can get strengthened. Amen? Amen. He says, And he heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi, the beautiful friend, said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, the, dealt with the dead and with me. See, she sends these two daughter-in-laws away, which I'm going to paraphrase for a little bit until verse 11, because she knows that there's nothing for them. Naomi doesn't have any hope. She knows, she knows her days of producing kids are over. And she says in verse 11, but Naomi said, she told the daughters to go, and they said, no, we don't want to go. So she tells them, but Naomi said, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? She says, return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore remain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than you, for you, than the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. She believes that God's hand is against her. And she tells him, go. That's telling me she knows there's no hope. She doesn't have any eggs. She's done. Here's one of the most beautiful parts of Scripture that I read a lot of times in, in weddings. It says, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, listen to this. Now, I wish I could preach. There's a whole message just on this verse. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah was fawn. What do fawns do? Boing, 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 boing. You ever just see those little suckers just bounce away? She just kissed her. How many, how many know it? And I'm not going to preach the message, but there's a lot of people who kiss Jesus. There's a lot of people who will say, Lord, I love you. But there's then a whole other group of people who will cleave to him and who will cling to him. And when the tough gets tough, they don't bounce off. You following me? But Ruth clung to her, beautiful friend. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and most importantly, and your God, my God. Now I got to tell you that Naomi must have given her a pretty good picture of, of a good God. You follow me? Friends, loved ones, people are watching you. People are seeing what your God is like by how you live and how you represent him. It is quiet in this house today. That was good. People are going to learn about your God by your relationship with your God. Ruth made a decision. No, where you go, I'm going to go. I want to serve your God. See, she came from a background of Moabites, and they sacrificed children, and they, they did all kinds of crazy things, and they had gods who were cruel, and she saw that your God's a good God, even though Naomi, as we're going to see, was bitter towards God. She said, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw 
that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem, to the house of bread. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Is this the pleasant one? And then she said to them, do not call me pleasant one. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dwelt very bitterly with me. She represents, remember, Israel. She said, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has... She said, why are you calling me pleasant one, when the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is such a great, great passage of scripture. You see, this caused a stir. It wasn't common that someone who wasn't an Israelite would still, even though her husband was left and she was free to go, it caused a stir in the neighborhood. You follow me? They're saying, who is this Moabitess? Ruth, who she's honoring her mother-in-law. She's got nothing for her, but she's young and she's willing to stay with her. She, you can see she cares for her. She doesn't want nothing to happen to her. She honors her. Amen? So, chapter 2, it says, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elamech, whose name was Boaz. What's his name mean? That's a great question, Linda. I'm glad you asked. It means swiftness and strength. Now, I played some sports. It's good to be strong, and it's good to be fast. But if you have strength and speed, you're making millions. That's always a good thing, just like it was back then. His name mate, swiftness and strength. Who was Ruth married to before? Sickly. It's looking good. But Ruth, at this point, she has no clue about any of this stuff. So it says, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to, to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After one in those sight, I may be found favor. And she said, go, my daughter. Now I want you to see something here. I wonder how Ruth knew if we come back to Bethlehem, to the house of bread, you could actually go and reap behind the, the reapers. And if there was some left over or the corners of the fields, by law, they left for those who were in need. Someone had to tell Ruth that. I wonder who that was. Naomi. Who represents who? Okay, just, just keep, keep your mind going there. Now, who's Ruth? Gentile church. Who told Ruth where she could get some food? Okay, just somebody's brains are starting to turn. Almost like God knows what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? So that goes on. She goes into the fields. Now, you guys with the verses, you're just going to hang with me because I'm going to skip some, and I'm going to talk about some, and then I'm going to go to verses. So good thing Steve's awesome, right? <laughs> so she goes, and she goes, and she starts working in the field, and she's gleaning behind the harvesters. And all of a sudden, Boaz, and she just happens to land in Boaz's field. She doesn't know Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. She's working in the field. Well, Boaz shows up, and he sees this Moabitess lady, and he's heard about this Moabitess woman that came back with Naomi. So he begins to ask his workers, like, hey, so what's the deal with her? And they give her the report. She's been working from morning until dawn. She's been busting her rear end. She's a hard worker, and she's only taken one break. He's like, hmm. So then he goes, and he begins to tell his, his team and his guys, hey, keep an eye on her. Don't, don't let nothing happen to her. If you, if you see that, that she's working, hey, let her stay. Then he goes and he talks to Ruth. In verse, chapter 2, verse 8, says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, sorry, Steve. <laughs> verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. 
Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from that servant's draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight? How many felt like that before the Lord? Why have I found favor in your sight? Boy, that's a great question. That you should take notice of me, and since I am a foreigner, she's like, I'm not one of you, and and she knows the law on that. Like, the Jews and and non-Jews, even in Jesus' day, that's why he was using the, the parables of Samaritans to be like, look, it ain't about that going forward. But they were like harsh. She goes, you've taken notice of me, a foreigner. And Boaz answered and said to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law, for who? Israel. All that you've done for Israel after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be, be full from the Lord. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And then she said, oh, she's such a smart lady. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant. She puts herself, I'm a maidservant. I'm in your service. Though I am not like one of your maidservants. She's saying, I'll call, like, I'm your maidservant, even though, like, basically, I'm not worthy. I'm not like, I'm a Moabitess. I've got nothing coming. But she submits. And look at the response. And at mealtime, verse 14, Boaz said to her, come here. Now, I don't know if you could pick up on this yet, but Boaz likes her. He's like, but Boaz can't do anything about that. Boaz can't do anything. You're going to see what has to happen. So he's being kind. And, and how many know, like, Ruth, when she figures it out, once Naomi tells Ruth, she has to go to him. Church, how many of you know your father loves you? God is doing everything he can to woo you and to get you to come. But you have to come to him. He's paid it all. He's done everything he can do. But he doesn't force himself on anybody. They have to come to him. So he is wooing her. How many were wooed by God? How many felt him wooing you? How many felt him drawing you? How many of you, you start thinking like, why am I living in a land where there's no bread? Why don't I go where there's a house of bread? I remember that feeling. What am I doing? All of a sudden the scales come off my eyes. You're an idiot. What are you doing in this pit? Why are you feeding from the hog's trough? Maybe I could go back and be a servant. That's pretty awesome. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain. Wow. I read a story about that somewhere. We're going to take communion today. And Jesus disrobed and put on the, the, the garment of a servant and served his flock. Amen. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. Boy, ain't that the truth. When we get with the Lord, we can eat and be satisfied. And we got leftover before we were starving. He says, when she, when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. And also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. For she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She comes back, she comes back and tells Naomi what happened. Now Naomi gets excited. In verse 20, it says, And Naomi said to her, Daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the, to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. He is a goel. All of a sudden, Naomi's mind starts ding, 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 ding. 
Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, furthermore, he, oh yeah, she's excited, you can tell. Oh yeah, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with the maids, lest others fall upon you in another field. So he's protecting her. He's keeping his hand out for her. And he says, so, he stayed, so she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, chapter 3, Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? And now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were, behold, you were. Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. She says, Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. So this is the plan. Naomi gives Ruth the plan. She's like, here's what's going to go. Here's how this is going to happen. And she's following the law. She's following the way this has to happen. So who tells Ruth the way to the kinsman? Are you following me? But who has to go? Ruth. So Ruth still has to do it. So guess what? It says when Bo, she tells him, look, go in there after Boaz is eating and they've all had, and they've had plenty of wine and they're feeling good. He's going to lay down by his harvest and they're going to lay there and protect it. So then she tells the plan, you got to go and, and get all dressed up good and smell good and, and don't let no one really know who you are until it's time. And then you go lay at his feet. How many know that's a good position to position yourself? At the feet of the Goel, at the feet of the Redeemer, you go and lay yourself at his feet. And she said, uncover his feet. Now, there wasn't nothing sexual or nothing perverse in this. This was uh, to let the kinsman know, I want you to redeem me. So she goes and lays at his feet. And I love the passages of Scripture. There's a couple of them in there. Um, I missed one of them. There was a, now behold, in chapter 2. It's pretty cool. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Like, these now beholds are awesome. Now there's another Boaz comes, wakes up, and he's like, and it's like, now behold, Ruth's laying at his feet. And, you know, he's excited at this point because he knows what she's asking. It's like, I want you to redeem me. So in verse 8 of chapter 3, it says, And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Guys, how many know that's a good thing? <laughs> and behold, like, woo, it's looking up. And he said, who are you? He didn't know who it was at first. He's like, uh-oh, someone's wanting me to, to redeem him. He's like, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. She's saying, you're my kinsman. Goes on, and, and Boaz gets excited. He says, okay, um, may the Lord be blessed. He goes, and then he says, here, hold out your clothes. Like she had a, a deal on. He fills up like a week's worth of food, probably all she could carry, and she, and he sends her back. He sends her back to who? With what? Blessing and food, but it's a blessing. So the Moabite, soon to be bride, brings blessing back to who? Israel. Okay, I'm a little excited. Can you tell? Now Boaz, Naomi told, tells Boaz, or Naomi tells Ruth, like, oh, he's going to, like, I know, like, I can tell this dude likes you, right? How many moms you got, you're like, no, I'm telling you, that dude likes you. <laughs> like, she might not be sure. Now he's like, oh, good Lord, look at what, he's been taking care of you. Oh, my gosh, he look, he's like, she's all, you're going to know by the end of the day how this is going to turn out. That's what she tells him. You're going to know quick. What's his name? Swift and strong. So he's not waiting. He's like, we're going to get this taken care of. So he goes, but he tells Ruth, he says, Ruth, yes, it's true I'm your kinsman, but there's one closer. So I gotta go, I gotta go deal with this. So he goes to town and there's and they, he sits in the spot where all the people come and it's a public place. So he goes and finds the kinman closer. And he says, Hey, you know, you know, Ruth, you've heard he's oh yeah, I heard. Um, you know, Naomi wants to have that land redeemed. She wants to sell it. Do you want to redeem it? He says, Heck yeah, I'll take that land. He says, Oh, okay. And he's pretty sly, old Boaz. He goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. And he goes, oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot. She also came back, you know, that Ruth, that Moabitess woman. And then all of a sudden, homeboy's like, 
uh-oh, wait a minute. I got to take her on too? It's like, oh, yeah, you got to marry the, the Moabitess woman. And he starts going, uh-oh, that ain't, that's, well, that's against the law. And then he goes on as you read. He starts worrying about his own possessions. He starts worrying about his inheritance. He's like, um, I'm going to have to, then I'd have to split it. My, you know what? Um, why don't you go ahead and redeem that? Boaz, pretty sharp character. Boaz, but Boaz has to go make intercession. Are you with me? Okay. So, all that happens, we come to, let me read, verse 5, chapter 4. God bless Steve. <laughs> These guys, they, I usually give them notes of stuff. I'm like, I'm going through the book of Ruth. I can't give you anything. I don't even know where I'm starting and stopping. So, hold on. So, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, and he has to make sure, the Moabitess, <laughs> the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased in his inheritance. And the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. So then they go through the custom. This is a cool custom. They take off a sandal hand him a sandal like that's means something but it sure does in that culture they're like oh no he took off his sandal and handed it to him like it's a done deal now like but that's what they do so in the sight of all the witnesses boaz has right of redemption and then we go on and it says that there's some stir about that people are excited and there's a, a blessing that happens in verse 11 it says and all the people who were in the court and the elders said we are witnesses May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom who built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Aphrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. They, de they decree a blessing and a blessing just like Rachel and Leah. She goes, may she become like Rachel and Leah. Well, how many know that Rachel and Leah were also, they weren't Jewish. They were moved in, and, and they, but they built all of Israel. So, look at this. I want to say, right, you know, the, the grace of God can do what the law can't. Just ponder on that for a while. We're going to hit that again before it's over. And may you become famous in, in Bethlehem. It goes on, and it says, Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring, which the Lord shall give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and she went into her house, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. The woman said to Naomi that you're blessed because you have received a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. Who brought, who brought, come on, who brought Naomi to Boaz? Ruth. So the Gentile bride brought Israel back to Boaz, the Redeemer. Just so you know, Naomi didn't know him. Naomi didn't, had never met him before. Until they come back, she finds out he's a relative, but she don't know him. Naomi never was in her heart that she was doing this so that she would be redeemed. Or she would have come back with, she would have been like, bum, ba, dun, check it out, go find, go find this guy. This is where we're going. Here's the plan. She didn't have the plan. The Lord had the plan. Now, it gets better. Verse 11, then Naomi took the, oh, may, yeah, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Can you imagine how amazing and, and how happy Naomi is? She's lost her sons. They've all died. She's hopeless. Her name, she calls herself bitter. And then all of a sudden, Ruth brings her grandson. Oh, she's having a good day. I've watched how you guys have grandkids. I don't have any grandkids, but I'm looking forward to it because you all lose your minds. <laughs> you all do things that I, I watch my mom and dad do. I'm like, you would have never let me in a million years. But you all lose your minds. You have grandkids. So all of a sudden... Naomi now has this grandbaby. She thought her life was over. And she's been redeemed. And just listen to this. The lineage. Oh, and what's the name of the baby? Obed. What's that mean? Servant of God. So there was. Now there's back a relationship with God. In that family. 
And look at the lineage. It says, now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron. To Hezron was born Ram. And to Ram, Amadidabab. And to Amadidabab was born Nashon. And to Nashon, Salmon. And to Salmon was born Boaz. And to Boaz, Obed, who is the son of Boaz and Ruth. And to Obed was born Jesse. And to Jesse, David. Ruth is King David's grandma. Who comes through the line of the tribe of Judah? Come on. What the law says can't be done, grace can do. What the law can't do, grace can do. Come on. Here's a picture of that in the book of Ruth. Okay. Now, if you think that was exciting, you see in chapter 1, love's resolve. In chapter 1, Ruth doesn't even know that Boaz exists. Ruth has no clue. She's Gentile. She's from Moab. She has no clue about what God is and all the others. So she don't have a clue. Chapter one, love's resolve. Chapter two, Ruth is gleaning, is, is love's response. Ruth's gleaning for her and Naomi in chapter two. L Ruth is gleaning for her and Naomi. Okay? Naomi's not out gleaning. Ruth is, the Gentile. But she's providing for Naomi, Israel. Ruth is a poor laborer gleaning in the field in chapter 2 of Boaz and receiving his gifts to her. Boaz is only a mighty man of wealth who shows kindness to her. She doesn't know the whole process of redemption. She's just like, this guy's a strong guy and he's taking care of me. We're blessed. Praise God. Thank you. Chapter 3 is what we call love's request. The threshing floor scene. Now in chapter 3, Ruth yields herself at the feet of Boaz and believes in the promise. She yields herself and believes what Naomi has told her about the kinsman redeemer. And she puts faith in it. Which is faith is action, right? So she puts action in it and she goes after it to pursue it. Man, we're not going to get through this. We've got to grab another gear. Chapter 4, love's reward. Redemption. Redemption to the land, to Naomi. Listen to this. Love's reward. The redemption of the land goes to Naomi. The redemption of the land goes to Naomi. The bride goes to Boaz. There's redemption on both parts. How many know that Israel is looking to have full, full, their full land restored? 1948, they got a little part, but it ain't all of it. There's coming a full redemption. The land to who? Israel. But the bride to Boaz. Ruth's yielding is no longer, listen to this, in chapter 4, Ruth's yielding, she is now no longer a poor gleaner. Now she has Boaz, and everything he owns belongs to her. That's what you call the joint heir. That Gentile bride is redeemed. And everything that, 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 that uh, Boaz owns, all the possessions, all that, now she is a joint heir. She went from just a, a gleaner in the field to owning the field. You guys, are, are you awake you should be excited by that. All the rights, all that is hers. So, I want to I read a couple things here that I, and I wish I had more time to really get into this, but I don't. I want to I leave you with a couple thoughts throughout this book. Too much of the church, too many of us church, we live in chapter 2. Too many of us, we're in chapter 2. We're, we're just getting the scraps. Yeah, we're in the field. We're in the kinsman's field. We're, getting, we're just receiving scraps. We're getting by. The leftovers. We're just getting leftovers. That's what those were. They were just the leftovers. I'm doing the best I can, Pastor. I hear that a lot. How you doing? I'm doing the best I can. You know, it's rough. It's hard. You know, I'm just getting by. Why are you getting the scraps? Why are you stuck in the leftovers? And what am I? What I'm giving you right now is leftover. You hear me? You're getting the scraps. I've been feeding on this. The church is so, so okay with just going over the leftovers of other people, not, not digging in for themselves, not going into relationship for themselves, Getting on YouTube and listening to someone else's message. 
getting on and getting the leftover scraps of what someone else has already received. You following me? If only, if only we would don't do like Ruth and go at his feet and surrender ourselves to the feet, to the Lord, to our kinsmen, and realize that I can be redeemed. I can have an intimate relationship. And in, in that redemption, we instead of focusing on the hands and what he can give us and what might be in it to fill my stomach and to take care of the now, we get off the giver of the gifts and just in, in the gifts and get to the giver of the gifts and focus just on him. Not on what for what he can do for you because you love him. And you submit yourself at his feet because he's already done so much for you. He is the redeemer. He is the one that's bought you with a price. He's already done the work. And you can't be okay with the scraps. God, I want, I want intimacy. I want you to put your blanket over me. You see, the times of Ruth's day aren't so different from ours, church. You listen to me, if you focus on the evils of our day, you will become bitter, pessimistic, and cynical like Naomi. What did she do? She got her eyes on the issue. She got her eyes on, oh, look at what happened. My sons are gone. She started blaming God for it. How many of us done that? If we're honest, every single one of us have. You say you haven't done that, I don't trust you. It's so easy to look at the world through a pessimistic set of eyeballs and see all the garbage on the news and all that. And get so, it's so easy to get caught up in all that. But you've got to get your eyes off of that because it's going to make you bitter. There's a bunch of bitter church. Got, remember, who remembers the old Keystone beer commercials? Bitter beer face. Remember that? The church should not have bitter beer face. If you don't know what it is, go Google it. I guarantee there's got to be a YouTube. That, that sucker's face was so puckered up that old man, he didn't have like no teeth in there. He, the church shouldn't look bitter. Yeah. New wine. An abundance of it. If you get your eyes off the temporary and on the internal, and I dare you to do this. Ask God, what field do you want me to work in? What field do you want me to glean in, Lord? Do you have a field? There's some people, especially Americans, we just want to sit on welfare. I don't even want to have to go glean. Pastor, will you chew the food up for me? Pastor, will you? Put it in my mouth for me? No. That's the Saturday Night Live. Seen it? <laughs> no. Get in the field. Ask the Lord, Lord, what field do you want me to be in? Lord, I want to I serve. I want to work. Call me a servant. If you'll submit yourself to his will and plan, you will experience his presence. You got to submit yourself, though. You got to submit yourself. You're not going to have his presence. You're not going to have relationship. You're not going to be redeemed. You're not going to have that intimacy until you go put yourself at his feet. That is a submission. You don't just say a prayer. It's the stupidest thing, man. That's from the devil. Well, just say a prayer. Everything's going to be okay. No, it won't. You got to believe in your heart. You got to confess with your mouth. Lord, I want you to be my redeemer. You got to submit yourself to the Lord. You lay yourself at his feet. What field do you want me to work in, Lord? And when you do, when you submit yourself... Then comes the peace. 
Then comes the grace. Then comes the joy of the Lord. Then comes that presence. Then becomes that new creation, that new life where the old, you're going to go like, how the, why am I happy? Why do I have joy? It doesn't make sense. Because you submitted yourself to the Redeemer. Because now you are in right relationship. You've placed yourself at his feet. And then he will lift you up. And he will show everyone, this is my bride. And all that I have is hers. Let me give you some observations about the book of Ruth. In order to bring Ruth to Naomi, Naomi had to be exiled from her land. None of that happens unless Naomi has to get kicked out of her land. What are you saying, Pastor? Israel was dispossessed. Israel was spread all over the world. That had to happen so that you, Ruth, would be able to be in relationship and have a Naomi let you know that there's a God who's a redeemer. First thing I realize and I see in this, in order for Ruth <laughs> to bring Naomi, Naomi had to be exiled from her land. Ruth brought Naomi to Boaz. In order for that to happen, Naomi had to get dispossessed of her land. Church, Ruth doesn't replace Naomi. Remember some weeks back, I talked about replacement theology. The church doesn't replace Israel. Just like here, Ruth doesn't replace Naomi. They are both redeemed. They are both redeemed, and it says so. Naomi to the land, Ruth to the bride, to, the, to, to Boaz. Not replaced. Ruth learned of Boaz. This is so cool. Ruth learns of Boaz, the, king, king, the kinsman redeemer, through Naomi. Naomi wouldn't have even, or Ruth wouldn't have even known there was a kinsman redeemer had it not been for Naomi. We wouldn't know that there's Jesus Christ, our Savior, had it not been for Israel. God told Israel, I need you to be the people that will let the world know that there is a God. Ruth wouldn't have learned of the law of redemption and the Leverite marriage had it not been for Naomi. And then Naomi personally meets Boaz through Ruth. Personally meets. Personally meets, not hear, heard of, not I've heard of these laws and these things that we've went over and over, but Naomi personally meets him through Ruth. Church, that's our job. To bring people to personal relationship. That's what Paul was trying to do. He'd always go to who first? The Jews first, then the Gentiles. He's wanting to show them it's not about the law anymore. Grace can do what the law cannot. Ruth should have never by law been married to Boaz. She was a Moabitess. Come on, somebody. You're not excluded. I don't care what it says on your report card. You're not excluded. There's no exclusion in grace. But you have to go to the Redeemer. No matter how much, no matter how much Boaz loved Ruth and he loved her, he had to wait for her move. You following me? No matter how much the Lord loves you this morning, no matter how much he loves you, he has to wait for your move. You have to make the move. You have to go lay yourself at his feet. No one can do it for you, and he wants it more than anyone. So anyone else is wanting it. But you got to lay yourself at his feet. I'm going to close with this. Boaz, not Ruth, confronts the nearer kinsman, brings the case, and makes intercession. You know you have one who makes intercession before you. Ruth didn't go and plead the case. Boaz, the redeemer, goes and makes intercession. That tells me, and the Bible tells us that you have one who makes intercession for you.
You see, you can't come to the, you can't come to God except through your Boaz, because he's met the obligations. His blood is what cleanses us from sin. So the Father sees us as holy, just like Jesus, as if we've never sinned. He's our redeemer. And the, the seven scrolls, the one we over last week, who is worthy? Jesus, our Goel. He's the one that's worthy, that's opening the seals. There's no one else worthy. Are you with me? Is there anyone here today? You say, you know what, I, Pastor Steve, I need to be redeemed. You may have known the Lord. You may have turned your back on him. I don't know what's happened. But there's people. There's got to be someone. You say, I want what Ruth got. Pastor Steve, I've been a Moabitess. I've been, I, I don't feel worthy to the law. According to the law, I'm not. I got good news for you, Dave. The grace, grace can do what the law cannot. We're saved by grace, not of works, not of the law, lest any man should boast. Jesus met every obligation to the law. He fulfilled it in our place. Thank you, Jesus. That's a good day. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. If, if you need to be redeemed today, just lift your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I, wa I want to know the Lord. I want to be redeemed. I want to know that I know that I'm right with God. I want to know that I know. I'm done running. I don't, want to, I don't want to sow in no one else's field. I'm tired of harvesting behind the enemy with the scraps. I'm starving. I'm hungry. I need to be filled. Is that you? Then I'm to assume that all of you have been redeemed. I pray that you have learned a little bit more about your redemption. I pray you have a little bit more understanding of God's plan. And how many know you're going to see it? You're going to see this accomplished. Yes, he has bought us, but there's a redemption coming for the land. And it's not yours. It's Naomi's. Let's take some um, communion. Why don't you guys come up? I'm going to open up communion. We're going to do it a little different. You guys can go back to your seat, spend some time with your loved ones or whoever or yourself. Take communion. I'll lead you in communion. Go ahead and come up. Leave your seat. After we take communion, you can be dismissed. I think it's fitting. We were talking about Bethlehem being a house of bread. Amen? Jesus told, says of himself, I'm the bread of life. So we have these cups. You can take off the top. Take that wafer. This represents the bread. <laughs> and I thought it was so awesome that in that day in Bethlehem, the house of bread, there was no bread. We'll never have to worry about that. Jesus is the bread of life. Amen. There's always plenty of bread. <laughs> so we're going to pray over the bread. Lord, thank you for this bread that represents your body that you brought in redemption and you sacrificed for my sake and for my life that I could not be starving any longer, that I'd always have bread. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you'll never need to do anything else. It's already been finished. And you didn't just redeem me. You redeemed the world.
The world has already been redeemed, but they have to lay at your feet and submit themselves to inherit that redemption. So Lord, we thank you for this body that was beaten and bruised at the cross and at Calvary. We thank you for it. We praise you and thank you for it. And Lord, we thank you that we are in you and you are in us, just like this bread. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now we take the cup. Lord, we thank you for your blood. That is the price of, of redemption. Your word says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We thank you for your blood that cleanses us and makes us whole. White 